Welcome to Small Business Celebration. We're continuing our series on small business owners who are getting the move on. And our guest this week, well, she's the managing member of quite the honey of a business. This is Small Business Celebration. Welcome, where we chat with real business owners who have real success and learn from them about what works, what doesn't, and who want you to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a train. Join us where you can learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and our <laughs> guest this week is Jeannie Wells, the managing member of Jim's Honey Farms. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. Well, thank you for inviting me here. I appreciate it. For visioneers who don't know who you are, who are you, and what is it that you do? Well, my name is Jeannie Wells, and I started in the bee business many years ago, and I have a honey farm, Aperaries, and it's called Jim's Honey Farm, LLC. We uh, service the farms with pollinization, and we also sell honey uh, wholesale. Now, the reason we're here is for a pair of reasons, actually. The first one, I know nothing about the honey business, and I am absolutely fascinated by this. <laughs> and so I had to come and check out and, and what's going on. And the second part of it, too, is... is Jim's Honey Farm is another small business that is not a typical retail business. It's part of a more complex supply chain. And tell us, Jeannie, what is the supply chain for Jim's Honey Farm in your small business? This is the time we take care of the service the farmers around in Kern County and in other areas, uh, Fresno's, King's, and uh, down in Ventura County, some of them, that has oranges, I mean almonds. Right. And uh, we also pollinate crops for the... Um, Watermelon, not watermelons, but melons, uh -huh. um, sometimes alfalfa, sometimes uh, berries. And the bees migrate, or, or you help the bees migrate further north as the summer months come upon us. Whenever the blossom comes down, usually they, come, they go north because of the crops. The, slower, the colder it is, the slower the blossoms out. So yes, we deliver. It's our last stages for delivering our bees into the almonds. And that is our last part of going there. How far north do, does your operation go? I know we're in Kings County, and I know we're in Fresno County. At some point, you end up in South Dakota, Montana? No, actually, South Dakota is our summertime. As soon as we leave here and we get our orange crop, our buckwheat crop, and some sage crop, we start moving them out to, uh, we have a what we call a kind of a pit stop or a little uh, side deal in South Dakota, right. which is very nice. Uh, we use, uh, what do we have there? We have uh, clover, which makes a very, I sure. love clover honey. And then we also have a, what we call a sunflower honey, which is has as a neutral uh, flavor. Right. And the Packers can blend it with other honeys to make it grow farther. So if you have one barrel of orange honey, you can add a barrel of sunflower to it, and it actually, uh, the orange will take over, or the clover. So you're sort of like a winemaker. You're going through yes. and you're taking different honeys they and mixing do. them. They are the expertise. We just sell it to them. <laughs> okay, all right. They're the chemists. Yes, they are. They know what they're doing. It's a remarkable job. Uh, they do wonderful jobs in, in their blendings of honey because they have to. Honey's like oil. Mm. It comes in different gravities. Mm. And there's only one honey they candy makers love, and that's mesquite honey. Okay. And that was a little time for another story later time. But anyway, <laughs> uh, they, honey makers share with you what they do with their honey. 
I had one uh, person who loved my orange honey because he liked to bake bread. Nice. And he was a baker. Right. And uh, so honey has its own unique abilities. You have two parts to There's the business. Two, two parts to the business. The first part is the pollination side, which is so right here in the, in the latter parts or the beginning parts of March. Yes. April, it actually starts in the middle of January. We start moving our bees in. Okay. This is the springtime. Is the time you uh, take care of your farmers. As so, their crops come on, we take right. care of them. At what point does the, the, the pollination turn to the honey production side? Or is that more simultaneous, or how does that work? Our biggest crop is almonds. Mm -hmm. As soon as that dies down, we try to get into the wildflowers, or we mm -hmm. try to get into the sage or the buckwheat. But our other main crop that we get into is the oranges. Right. The orange blossoms produce a wonderful uh, honey crop. Right. And then what, during the summer, there'll be someone call you, well, we have melons that needs to be pollinated. We have something else that needs to be pollinated. So we try to accommodate our, our honey flow and the farmers at the same time. But that mm. kind of slacks off as the summer goes on. Okay. And, you, and you're focused on your honey then. And after the honey is created. Yes. To whom do you sell that product to? We have a wholesaler we deal with uh, in uh, Barkman's Honey Company in South in Kansas, actually. Okay. And uh, they buy also of our product. There are local people around who say, you know what, I have a side job my son needs to do. Can I have uh, 10 barrels or can I have a couple of barrels that we can buy off of you? Yes, sure. And so they do But wait a second here, time out. You've got, you, when you say a barrel, Mm -hmm. How many gallon barrels is this? We're talking about a 55 gallon drum. <laughs> That's one barrel, 55 gallons of honey. Yes. How many barrels of honey does the spring typically produce? A good year will produce 1,000, 1,400. A bad year is about 500. Okay, so a bad year is 500 barrels. Barrels 55 of 55 gallon drums. Because <laughs> I'm just imagining I'm at the grocery store and I look <laughs> at the little bottle of, of honey that you buy off the store shelf and that's minuscule compared to a 55 gallon drum of honey. Of honey. And then yet on a good year, you'll sell 1,500 barrels yes. of honey. Yes. Yes. That's a lot of honey. Yes. <laughs> I don't even think of it that way. I just think of it as the, the uh, service part of it, which is the pollination, right. and then the last part of it, which is the honey, which is the sales of our crops. Right. So I, I've never really thought about that way, except I've watched the barrels grow from one barrel right. to 1,500 barrels. It, it, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just growing. It's just, it's just growing business. Like a cotton farmer, he had 20 acres, and now all of a sudden he's got 2,000 or 20,000. Well, I've mentioned this before on Small Business Celebration. If there's one thing Kern County farmers understand, it's economies of scale. Yes, it is. And this is something that Jim's Honey Farm has learned over the years because the business started in 1978. 78. And yes. so here we are 50 years later? Yes. Okay. And you've gone from essentially... It was, it was a hobby yes. that it first started out as. What was the progression on that? Because this is part of the story that's absolutely remarkable, I think, is you start off as a hobby. And, and what happened? How did that grow and, and how did that develop? My husband was getting older. He was 43 years old and he needed a change. What was he doing? He was cutting firewood. He'd been cutting firewood since he was 24 years old. And this was back in the, in the mid-70s. Yes, it was. So everybody had a wood-burning stove. 
My husband actually started cutting firewood in 19, uh, let's say, 65, because Don, it was about 60, 1964. Right. He started cutting firewood. Right. He wanted to be independent and work for himself, and that was a job all by himself, transforming into firewood. Right. And I had no children, and I helped him, and that was a wonderful time. We were together all day. And it was up at 4 o'clock in the morning, going to work, cutting firewood, getting coming out of the mountains at 11 o'clock because we loaded the truck, three cords of wood, brought it down. And his arms were tired, and he needed a new job. Right. And he told me, I can't do this no more. And I looked at him, and I thought, and he'd start, I'm going in the bee business whether you like it or not. And I thought, well, you were always going in the bee business. Because well, he had it as a hobby, didn't he? He had it as a hobby. He had right. three hives he sold when we got married because he didn't have the money to get married. <laughs> and I just, but that's dedication. You know, yeah. He sold his hives for you. Yes, he did. <laughs> and, I always, and I think that year come around, he was really down in... There, I looked through the paper. There was 27 highs for sale at Isabella. He had three that he had bought off of a local beekeeper here, um, Bennett's Honey House. Mr. Bennett, a wonderful man. They were up in years. And he had bought a, a couple of hives, and I said, well, we'll increase it. So well, I went up there. I bought the 27 highs, and, and he said, well, how am I going to get them down? I said, I don't know. They're your birthday. <laughs> so he says, well, I can plug them up, I guess, and bring them down. And he went up there, and the guy says, no, you can't plug them up. You'll have to come and, and get them at night. Or, and, and he brought them down, and it was still a little bit daylight. And he told me one before, he said, I'm not going to wear a hat or a veil. I'm strong. I'm not going to worry about that. I don't have to. <laughs> well, those 27 highs, which is actually, he brought them out here on this property. And uh, No screen, no, no mask, no, no gloves. No nothing, but... nothing. And they <laughs> ran him out of the yard. Now, it wasn't here. It would have been very funny. He ran behind some tumbleweeds, and he hid there, and he came home, and he said, and I was at work, and I came home, and he said, Buy me a suit. <laughs> I didn't know what a suit was. I didn't know what mask was, so I did the bad thing. I went to um, J.C. Penney's and I bought him a mechanics. You know, he said uh, a cover also. I bought him a blue or green suit. Well, I didn't know there was white ones, and that was a product we we learned. And he went to Bennett and he got a used hat, some gloves, and he worked there. And he said, "Well, by the way, the bees are kinder to you if you have a white suit." So we were introduced to Day Dance from uh, uh, Bennett's Honey House right. on Rosedale Highway. They introduced us to, to Day Dance in Santa Fresno, and we bought some white suits. And I had to adjust them a little bit to put some uh, Velcro in them so they'd zip up here and he wouldn't get stung. And he, we had to adjust the way you put on the hats. So it was new for us. This was all new. This was like teaching a kid something new. Neither one of us knew anything about. My grandfather had knew about bees, but he had been long since dead. And the only one he had to go by was Bennett. And they become, uh, she was keep your competitors close. And she'd say, we're the bee company. And, and I thought, well, okay, I don't care. I love you, Mrs. Bennett. We'll do, do what we want to. And there was another beekeeper in town, uh, Jim Cannon. And he taught us what he knew. And my husband was to learn. And we, he was indentated with so much stuff to learn. Right. But he did. He learned it. Now you have all of your kids yes. involved with the business. Yes. And you have roughly how many employees now? My daughter said we're running about a little over twenty about twenty five. We run about twenty five to thirty four, but mostly we give and take. I think we're running about twenty now. We hire and they they quit. They hire and they quit. Yeah. It's a, it's a job, you know. Right. You're going out in the heat, you're going out in the summertime, you're getting stung by bees. And most people say <laughs> I, I that's what I wanna do. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, and, and so I think some of them really like their job. They like being here, and right. I thank God they do because I we wouldn't be in business without them. 
if visioneers want to learn more about you and Jim's honey farm, how do they get in touch with you? Well, I have an email. It's Jeannie, J-E-A-N-N-I-E, at jhfbees.com, all lowercase. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about that process of growing from one shoebox of receipts to a room <laughs> full of shoebox receipts. Oh, that was a, yes. <laughs> if you enjoy Small Business Celebration, go ahead and like, subscribe, and notify, and leave a comment. One of the reasons we're here talking with Jeannie is because of a visioneer question that came from a, a visioneer just like you. And like I said, we'll talk more about how you can help your business grow from one shoebox receipts to a whole room of them when we come right back. Spring is here, and so are the mosquitoes. Protect your home and business from disease carried by roaches, as well as from spiders and earwigs by calling the largest locally family-owned pest control business, Oxley Pest Control, at 661-325-2687. Protecting your greatest asset from pests since 1994, Oxley Pest Control is focused on stopping the spread of disease, ridding our community of pests, and keeping you comfortable in your home and business. Call Oxley Pest Control at 661-325-2687 or visit them at oxleypest.com. That's O-X-L-E-Y-P-E-S-T.com and 661-325-2687. And ask about their mosquito reduction plan, a safe and effective way to help reduce the number of mosquitoes this summer. Call Oxley Pest Control at 661-325-2687 or visit them at oxleypest.com today. I am here with Jeannie Wells, the managing member of Jim's Honey Farms, and our visioner question comes from Josie who asks, our operation is beginning to grow from the farmer's market to a larger operation. How did you find the right wholesaler for you? We didn't have a wholesaler. We started out selling just like Josie did in the market, farmer's market. Uh, we happened to uh, find people uh, that had bought in Western Commerce. Since we were dealing with Catherine Bennett, she had told us there was an outfit in uh, Los Angeles that bought honey. Mm -hmm. And Jean Rush told us they bought honey. And uh, we went to them, and, but we ran across to Mr. Jack, who also bought honey in Los Angeles. He lived on Foothills Boulevard, or that's right. where he's a company was right and we sold to him it was our first honey buyer so i would say to josie i don't know what you're selling but whatever it is find the people that are around you that are doing it and and find out who the wholesalers are who who, who will deal with you in your business who do and, they trust yeah who do they use and mm. and that's very interesting because that's what i tell my son when he comes to me and he asks a question i say well you know the farmers you talk to them every day who do they work with right. what do they do right that's your breast that's person to person and that's your best way of learning right because they will tell you straight out who's good and who's not you didn't start off your your adult life in the honey business no i didn't and in fact you got married very early and very young and we have to keep this in historical perspective because things were different you know, back in the 60s and 70s than they are now <laughs> well no they really wasn't actually okay. uh, my mother was 23 when she got married uh -huh. uh, but she always wanted to marry someone like her dad and at that time you know the world war one was go world war ii was going on right. and her dad had been world war one and she said i'm going to marry someone like my dad because she adored grandpa and if you had ever met him you would have adored him too but 
anyway, he was something else. That's a story for another day. Uh, but uh, anyway, she married my dad, and dad had uh, came back with, um, uh, what is it called, post-trauma syndrome mm. after he got out of World War I. And that created a whole problem. She wasn't, as my mother used to say, you're not the man I married. Mm. And he wasn't, and it wasn't his fault. But my second husband, who had to enlighten me, but that's another story too. But anyway, at 15, my dad was a drunk. Uh, my mother had been an abusive, uh, very abusive, uh, putting up with him, but she was the uh, old story about the hen and the fire came through, she covered her chicks mm. and she sacrificed her life for us children. In mm. fact, she lived to be 74, but still she made a lot of sacrifices and a lot of suffering. But uh, my dad would beat us and I don't know if he did and I had a lot of people that um, was abusive to me as a child and I don't know if it was my dad or what happened, but I woke up out of a coma. And I kicked in as I had many times had woken up with bruises and beatings and not knowing how they got there. And I said, myself is said, I've got to take care of myself. This cannot go on. I was 15. And I had a lot of friends. And I said, well, you know, they, they had been told, well, you can just get married. And I thought, well, I don't want to get married. But my grandfather promised him I'd go to college. And I did. I woke up out of coma and it was self-preservation. I met my husband. I went to uh, met him and one week later I was getting married and the little story was that uh, when I went to the Justice of the Peace my mom and dad was with me while I was 15 I knew I needed my family with me and he looked at me and he said are you with family and I said yes I'm with family well I didn't know until <laughs> way later in life he what he I'm, meant <laughs> was are you are you pregnant and he didn't say that and I was looking surprised well yes and he and the lady looked at me and she said well, in nine months, you'll probably have a baby or a little early. And I said, well, yes, because, well, that's you get married, you have babies. My mother had 13. I mean, yes. And so I said, okay, that's what you do. And, and that's what I thought. And it was just honest answer. Right. And I guess if the clerk would have known that, he would never sign the paperwork. But I was married in 1962. Right. And I just about three months, 15 years old. And my husband was 24 at the time, and when I was when I'd met him the week earlier, which is, took weeks, anyway, he said, I'm 21. I thought, well, that's not too old. It's not too different. <laughs> then down there, he sits and tells me, he said, I lied, I'm, I'm 24. <laughs> okay, honey. But by then, I said, okay. And he said, we're going to California. And I was thinking, oh, I get to go see my grandfather. Right. And that's what I was thinking. Even though I didn't get to see him that year, it was a couple of years later. What possessed you? to go work in the oil fields? My work in the <laughs> helping my husband cut firewood. But actually there's a story about behind that too. My uncle and had worked in the oil fields uh -huh. and he had the opportunity to work at Shawnee with Getty Oil Company with Mr. J. Paul Getty, even though at that time I didn't know. He came out on a visit. I was standing at his foot and he was telling all my older cousins, boys, out that the oil fields, what it was like and, and what to do and how it was good paying. And I was hitting him, finally got his tension on the knee, and I said, Uncle Paul, Uncle Paul, will you please, t I'll go to work in the oil fields. And he ignored me. And by that, I got harder and harder, <laughs> determined, four years old. Uncle Paul, I'll go to work in the oil fields. And he said, no, girls don't work in the oil fields. And I broke down and bawled and booed. <laughs> girls, it was unfair. But that goes back to be careful what you want because you'll wind up doing it. And because I did. you did. I did. I did. Tell us the story because this is delightful. On You were the first of two women. Yes, that, I was. And tell us this story because this is just delightful. Well, I, I didn't know. I knew I was at, I had been laid off on my job. I was down at the unemployment office and I read this letter on the board. Getty is hiring women and women are welcome to apply. Getty will come. Dang, Uncle Paul, 
Get it. Uncle Pa, you know, okay. And it took me a week. This was on a Monday because you sign up for your unemployment. And then on a, on a Friday, I tossed and I turned. And finally, I got up at 11 o'clock, which on the last hour, which was not good anyway. I got down there. There had already been about 500 people before me. And I, had, I didn't realize that all my background and all my hard work and everything I'd been through set me up to work for the oil fields. I didn't have no clue. And I had an in that I didn't know, a neighbor who was the HR. I talked to her. She was a lady. Her son-in-law worked for Getty, and I didn't know that. All this was unknown to me. So I went down there, and I put in my application. This beautiful young college girl, all dressed up to work. I'm in heels. Well, they're not really high heels. Two-inch heels and a slacks and a blouse. Didn't look like I had ever worked anywhere other than that. Came in with everything was in my purse from work that I do because I helped my husband different things. I had everything they asked for. I didn't have to go out the car to get it. And I laid it all out, everything they wanted. And I put my job down. And I wasn't really interested until he told me, well, you do know this job pays $800 a month. Well, in 1974, <laughs> that was a lot of money. money yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, I can do this job. <laughs> then my interest perked up and it was a little more serious and I wanted to go to work. Right. So they said, we'll call you. And I would wait for the call, and I had did my, uh, had did it. and finally the call came. And when they came in, they did me an interview, and they said, well, have you, do you know what hard work is? I said, yeah, I pruned trees before. Do you know what oil fields is? Yes, my dad worked in the oil fields. Well, what if oil gets in your hair? I said, it gets in my hair. Well, what are you going to do when your clothes get dirty? I'll wash them, just like my mom washed my dad's. And you really want to work? Yes. Well, looks here, you've worked in the farm, and you've worked in a lot of heavy stuff, but I still didn't know that I had been approved by their HR. I had no idea. And, I, and uh, I got on as one of the first ladies, and another lady got on. Her name was Jenny, too. She worked for the parts department, and she also did a lot of manual work and had been in the fields herself. What was the first thing they had you do in the field? They told me I would be doing chopping weeds, but I wasn't chopping weeds. I was on the roustabout. I was on a roustabout crew. And, oh, a delightful person, uh, Mr. Um, what was his name? Stuart. And he was my head operator. And uh, he, was, he was a teacher. And one of the biggest strengths, they said, uh, said, go up there and get a 36. They didn't need it. But this is when you're new, you're called a worm. You have green stripes on your gray hat. And so he said, go up and get a 36. And a gentleman up there whispered in my ear. And he said, the 36, the numbers are on the pipe branches. <laughs> so I went out there and I drug this 36 down the hill. He said, by God, she did it, didn't she? <laughs> well, we don't need it. We done got it fixed. They didn't need a 36, but I didn't know that. Right. So up the hill, I went with the 36. But anyway, those were the little pranks they would try. But they were honestly wonderful people. I could have never worked with a bunch of better persons. You think of the oil field as rough and tough. They are. They're rough and tough with their work, but they're like, they're gentle in the heart. They're loving men. They love their families. They love their everything about them. It reminded me of my Uncle Paul, and I loved every bit of it. And we will talk about how Jeannie transferred some of that work ethic and her knowledge to her children <laughs> oh, and yeah. how they have grown the business when we come right back. The reason we're talking with Jeannie Wells, the managing member of Jim's Honey Farm, is because of a visioneer question that came from a visioneer just like you. They reached out to us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, and wanted to find out how do I train my children who are going to be taking over my business, how to find the right qualities in the right employees. So if you've got a question, you've got a thought, someone or something you'd like to learn about here on Small Business Celebration, 
reach out to us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram today. I'm here with Jeannie Wells, the managing member of Jim's Honey Farm, and our visionary question comes from Jenna who asks, I've been thinking of the future. How do you teach your children how to hire the right employees? Training. Uh, okay. That counts training. You're training first, and then when you turn it over to your children, most of the time you train them. My daughter, for instance, when she was in high school, I told her, you're going to be a bookkeeper. You need to learn accounting. And she looked at me and she said, uh, she did try. She tried it for her, I think, and then she changed her changed. And I knew in my heart that's what she was going to do. She was always good with numbers mm. and a good salesperson and a good person one-on-one. -on -one. But her career took it off in her own way. And as mine was taken off, uh, other things happened, and she wound up being my bookkeeper because <laughs> I didn't have time to do three jobs. And I went over to her house, and I was helping her too. And she said, I said, Donna, I've lost $7,000. I said, Mom, you didn't lose it. I said, Donna, I know... I know what money I've got. I said, I can look at it. I do not write down it. I can't, I'm too big now. I'm getting bigger. I need your help. You need a job. I need you. Mom, you can't afford to pay. I said, if I lost $7,000, <laughs> I can afford you. <laughs> I can afford you. <laughs> right. And so she started learning and she started learning on her own. But my daughter had that knack because I had always taught her to learn mm. and she had always learned in her other jobs. Right. So I knew when I got her, it wasn't a matter of not learning. It was a matter that she was going to learn because she was challenged. But all of your children are involved in the business. Yes, they are. And they, they now effectively run the company. Yes, they do. And they have to hire the yes, 20, 25, 30 employees. And, and, and how have you encouraged them and, and looked at the right qualities and traits to look for? How have you taught them how you, to do that? You can't really. It, it's a job. It, it's mm. like any other job. You can hire people. They either stay and they either like it or they'll leave. And you have to train them. Mm. The most important thing is taking people on that, that, that you would think that you would like this job. And I try to teach them like, if I hire somebody, are they looking for a job? Do they want to stay? How can I make them stay? Uh. So my children just hire people. They stay. They've learned that. They teach them. And some of them go on for better jobs. Some of them become beekeepers themselves. I have to confess, I was warned to ask about J. Paul. Getty. J. Paul Getty. Well, I the had, oh, J. Okay, Paul. Paul Getty. Yes, there's a lot of stories I could tell you about J. Paul Getty. I, I have wonderful stories. Uh, and I had no idea who J. Paul Getty was. Right. Even when it was Getty Oil Company. I never much into uh, newspapers. Right. And so. And for those yes. that are younger than 40, who was J. Paul Getty and what was the significance behind J. Paul Getty? J. Paul Getty was a oil company's son. He, he was a millionaire. He was in college. He dropped out of college. He was one of the richest men in the world. He uh, started working in the oil fields to learn the business himself after two years of college. And he, from there, he became one of the richest men in the world. He, and you had a special connection with him. I did, in more ways than one that I didn't <laughs> even know. How had so? no idea. My mother, actually, when he was out here looking at Kalinga oil fields, she worked in the five and, five and Dime out there. And as of many years ago, Cornettes, or I think it was Woolsworth, any of your uh, Five and Dimes or your Woolsworth had little cafes in them. And he would come in there to eat his meals. My mother was the, the um, waitress there. 
And she would say, and I didn't know, and I'd heard her laugh about it, and I didn't know who J. Paul Getty was. Had no idea. I was only four years old. And she'd say, you know, I met him, and he wanted to get married, and I would tap him on the hand, and I would say, you're a sweet old man. She said he was an educated man from New York, and that's all she knew about him, but he liked to drink wine, and she wasn't marrying a wino. (laughs) You'd have to know my mother. She loved older people. She loved them. She loved listening to them. She loved evaluating them, and that was her life, and she had met him, and I remember her talking about it, and most people wouldn't believe it, but my mother never told a lie just to say it. It really was true, because that's the way she would treat an old person. Didn't know who he was, didn't care for who he was. He was just a wonderful, sweet old man. And I remembered that tidbit, and I forgot about it. But then my Uncle Paul came with the story. He worked with J. Paul Getty. Didn't know who J. Paul Getty was. He was just working with somebody who, who was rich, and that's all he knew. My right. uncle was a young man in the oil fields, and he worked with this man. And he had some good things to say about him. And this then, man had a connection? To me, because I went to work for Jagadi Oil Company. Had no idea that all of those people were related at all. Had incidents <laughs> that I had stumbled across in past. It always says it's a small, small world. What happened was the company had an interview with J. Paul Getty at 100, when he was 100 years old. I love watching the videotape of the man that I had now learned that was the oil company owner. He had a lot of nuggets in his interview and I picked up a lot of nuggets off of him. He was 16 years old, one of the stories started out, and he went with his father to New York to borrow some money for his father's oil company. His father said, he had made a presentation, they got back to the car and he said, Dad, those are stupid men. And his dad corrected him and said, Honey, those are very educated men, but they like their money and they don't wanna let go of it. He said, my dad chewed me out, He said, you want a man just like that when you get your oil company because they do 30 different things at one time. They're very smart men, and don't you ever forget it. It gave me a perspective on what a CEO was Mm. and what a CPO was capable of. And I've learned, and I think that helped me when I went out there, even though I was started as a roustabout. The business people in business, I respected what they said because I learned from just that tape, nuggets from different ones. And I found out each one out there had a different value they brought to the table. And it's fascinating when you really learn about people that work for different areas and how much they really know and just taking time to learn their stories. You've had the business for a while. Yes, I have. And you were talking about nuggets. Yes. Give us a nugget, a book, that has really been a big influence on your development. Peter Lynch's book, One Up on Wall Street. One I, Up on Wall Street. Why, I, why that one? Because the Nuggets was about his personal life. Mm. About uh, I, his growing up, how he went to college, how he learned college, how he listened to the people around him. And everything went back to a little thing I heard. Yeah, I read in the Bible, and even though you told me the rest of the story, I just picked up the one nugget out of it, which was... Uh, riches comes by chance and everybody gets a chance. Well, riches can mean a lot of different things for people. Right. Riches is knowledge. Riches is, is wealth. Riches is a lot of things. Riches is so many different things you can't touch it. But he picked up the wealth from other people. The knowledge was mm. his nugget. And so whatever I knew, knew is pick up nuggets from people. Not, even out of their books, you know, I was, I was into a little bit of stock because I worked for the oil company and I had a 401k, but that was what I read the book for was the nuggets, his personal life, just like J. Paul Getty's personal life, the nugget that was in it, what his dad taught him, right. uh, how he went through life and different things, not so much about the oil business, but 
their personal life is what laid on me was their growth. There was another nugget, and you mentioned this in the previous segment, which was keep your competitors close. close. Yes. <laughs> that was a nugget I learned from Mrs. Bennett, who had their business, uh, the Beehive on Rosedale Highway. And this is yes. when you and your husband were starting your yes. own. So you're direct competitors. Yes. And she was a mentor for you. Yes, she was. Wonderful, beautiful person. What were some of the things, some of the nuggets that you, that you prize from her? I, she took me out to the swap meets. She sold honey out there. She mm. introduced me to honey. She wasn't jealous. She wasn't competitive. She, she taught me that learning from people, you can work with the same kind of people, and you don't have to be worried about what they'll do. There's enough for everybody. Mm. And that's something that you have to learn. And, and when you're in a business, oh, I don't want them to learn what I do. I don't want them to know. And the best growth you can have is learning from your competitors. Mm. They will teach you things. And I taught her things and she taught me things. She was working at 65 years old. She was carrying buckets down there. She was selling them. She even sold her honey in different stores, which I never decided to do that. But right. uh, things have changed. Rules have changed. Uh, her honey house was, she had a bottling room, was spotless, which I, I remember going it today and her honey in there where she picked it up and carried it to different markets and I went with her a few times. But most of the time just being around her and knowing her life and the hardship she went through getting to where they were and learning from her and learning that there's gonna be ups and downs and you just keep going. You just, it's, and it, do something you love. Mm -hmm. If you wanna stay in business, do what you love. If you love creating business, you'll create that, uh, 30 businesses if that's what you love doing. If you love running a certain business, that's what you'll do. Even if your face catch on fire. Yes, you will stay. Do what you love. What makes you wake up every morning and open the business? Oh, I wake up every morning. I know my kids is here. I know they got a job. I know some of my grandkids is here. I know that. Why, why is that important? Oh, it's just because what do mothers do? They worry. Oh, John's got a job, but he's not doing. He's doing good. Well, what if it cuts off? What if job goes down? What mm. if this? What if that? My children. What am I going to get to grandchildren? I don't worry. My, there will always be bees. There, there will, will always, always be pollen. Yep. There will always be. And even if it stops, they're they're independent. Mm. Each one of them is a different independent. Each one of them has something to bring to this honey farm. My daughter's the bookkeeper, and also a mentor to the other ones that are coming along. My one son is the David is he goes out and he gets the locations and and he um, he makes the deals and he's looking for pollinization he's looking for fields. My other one Johnny is the guy who takes care of the bees. They're his babies. He loves the bees. Um, don't kill my bees. Don't do this to my bees. You put them out there and you let them die. And he's the one that's crying about his bees. They are his babies. <laughs> They're like the guy who takes care of his his um, cattle or the guy who takes care of his sheep or the guy who takes care of something. There's always somebody in there that that's their baby. My uh, second husband, before he passed away, and his job, he told him, I took a nugget from him. His boss had to calm him down because he was a mechanic, and he said, Jerry, we, I know they're your babies, but they break down. <laughs> Don't get so emotional about it. You know? And so there's everything. Somebody, no matter who they are, there's something that they care about very passionately. And you'll have those in your company, and you're going to have to watch them too because they will get very upset when something goes wrong. And that's my Johnny. If visioneers want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? 
Well, they can email me at Jeannie. It's, it's all lowercase. It's J-E-A-N-N-I-E at jhfbees.com, which is jhfbees.com. Jeannie, this has been a privilege. I love the stories. I, I could sit here and I could listen for another three, four, five, twelve hours. This, this is great stuff. Thank you for joining us here on Small Business Celebration. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. And I'll be right back with my final thought. Spring is here. And so are the mosquitoes. Protect your home and business from disease carried by roaches, as well as from spiders and earwigs by calling the largest locally family-owned pest control business, Oxley Pest Control, at 661-325-2687. Protecting your greatest asset from pests since 1994, Oxley Pest Control is focused on stopping the spread of disease, ridding our community of pests, and keeping you comfortable in your home and business. Call Oxley Pest Control at 661-325-2687 or visit them at oxleypest.com. That's O-X-L-E-Y-P-E-S-T.com and 661-325-2687. And ask about their mosquito reduction plan, a safe and effective way to help reduce the number of mosquitoes this summer. Call Oxley Pest Control at 661-325-2687 or visit them at oxleypest.com today. Your Hollywood movie. I don't know about you, but I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Jeannie Wells. I could have listened to her tell stories for another two, three, four, five hours or more. But when I was driving back from the interview, I remembered something. More often than not, when I invite somebody to appear on Small Business Celebration, often I hear them say, well, I don't know, I, 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 my story's not that interesting. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't think anybody find anything very good about it. Hogwash. You have lived your story your entire life. And I'm also willing to bet there are parts of your story that you relive more often than you'd like. But if you just took a moment to sit back and look at what you have accomplished, the things you have overcome, the things people said you could not do and yet you did, you would have a Hollywood Blockbuster. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jeannie Wells, the managing member of Jim's Honey Farm, and I hope you learned something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business, and we'll see you here again next week. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration Podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. 
Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.